praise this morning as you're seated. Good morning, church. All right. Welcome to worship. It is Mother's Day. And I was doing some research this week, and I discovered something simply amazing. There are now over 8 billion people in the world, and out of those 8 billion, 100%, 100% of those people were born to a woman. They have a mama. Isn't that amazing? So we all have something in common. We have a lot to be thankful for. If you're a mother in the room, would you stand up real quick and let us just say thank you to you. Thank you, moms. Wow. What a difference you make. Thank you so much. In our service today, I hope you got one of our muffins, if you're allowed to eat those. Muffins for mommy. But uh, instead of giving you a carnation that would be wilted by the time you get home, we, we want to make a lasting difference. So our, our church is making a donation in your behalf uh, to an organization called One More Child. One More Child uh, serves mothers uh, of all kinds in distress. And so whether that's single moms who are just at a low point in life or whether that's moms who have been trafficked, uh, we are partnering with them for their Mother's Day offering. You can be a part of that too. I'll talk more about that at the end of the service, if you choose to do that. But I recognize, yeah, praise the Lord. We're grateful for that. I recognize that this can be a bittersweet day. Um, for example, uh, we have, for the first time in our life, both of our moms living in the same town with us. And uh, one is sick and in rehab, and one is just sick and in the bed today. So we couldn't have our moms here. So it could be something simple like that that you're not able to be with your mom for some reason. Uh, for some, it, it goes deeper. For some, your, your mom has gone ahead of you uh, into eternity. Uh, for others, there are moms who are here who are just, this is a tough day because you've lost children, and that's something no mom should ever experience, and that, that makes it really challenging. Um, some may not have relationships that are good. That makes it difficult. Also recognize there's always folks here on a day like today that it's, it's hard because your life's desire would be to be a mom, and that's just not worked out for you, and, uh, and these are hard days even to be at church. I understand that. And then there's a group that have gone through uh, the pain of abortion for whatever reason, in a life circumstance, and I know that, that that's something that stays with a woman, um, and even though you have the opportunity to experience God's grace and forgiveness, that days like this just make that hard. So here's what I want to do before we go anywhere else. I want to just take a moment, pray and thank God for all you moms who are here, but pray aware of some of the other things that are, are going on uh, even in the room so that uh, as we open God's Word, all of that will kind of filter through His sovereign hand and his providence, so that we hear and experience what he desires for us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, wow, we come in the name of Jesus just saying thank you, because you've given us a good day already. You woke us up, you put some food on our table, we managed to come together and be a part of the body of Christ gathered at church. We've seen a family committed to raising their children in a way that honors you. We've worshiped you. We've prayed. There's so much good. And, and we're gathered with <laughs> hundreds of moms in this room alone who, uh, who Lord, some are, 
are struggling. They're struggling because they're weary, because that may be the toughest job in the world. They're struggling, Lord, some because of other things that they've walked through in life. Lord, and there, there's some other ladies here that are, are walking through challenges because of the things we mentioned a moment ago. So, Lord, I, I pray that you do what only the Holy Spirit of God could do, that you grant comfort and peace and wisdom and care according to your touch. And, Lord, I pray that you'll do that even through the teaching of your word, that, that my words and my thoughts would be of you and that they would not get in the way of anything you would want said so that we would be given what we need that we don't have and we'd be taught what we still need to learn and we'd be made different because we're here. Lord, speaking of being here, I, I know there are some family members that are here because they love their mama and they're trying to honor their mom today. And Lord, some may not even have a relationship with you. So Lord, I, I, pray, that, I, I pray that your presence would be so evident that if today is the day you've intended for someone to experience salvation, that that would be so in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, meet us as our simple prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so take out or turn on your Bible, however you've got it, to Romans chapter 16. You're going to want to follow along today. Romans chapter 16. We've been in the book of Romans for a year. Can you believe that? One year. We started in May. If you think you've heard all of the messages in Romans, let me see your, your hand. Anybody? Where have y'all been? All right. Uh, we have been, for the last several weeks, talking about the last five chapters in the book of Romans. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. So much of our New Testament is letters to specific churches, so to groups of people like us. This was written to the church at Rome, and it details what it means for a person to be saved through faith by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And, and so the first 11 chapters really have dealt with the doctrine of that salvation, how that looks. So we've learned some church words like you're justified. Uh, we are lost apart from God because of sin in our life. That sin is going to have to be punished if we don't look to Jesus. But God doesn't want us to be punished. So Jesus died on the cross, and when we look to Jesus, the Bible says that God makes it just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I've always obeyed. So when we're saved, we're justified. But raise your hand if you're perfect. You know, you're not. So we're being saved, right? We're being sanctified each day of our life. It's what we just prayed. We want to be more like Christ. We were justified when we looked to Christ, but we're being saved because we're being sanctified. If I could wear a sign around my neck, it would be the sign under construction because God's not finished with me yet, right? We were justified, we're sanctified, but one day we will be saved, right? Aren't you excited about that? We will be glorified. We will see Jesus face to face. That's what heaven is about. That's what eternity is for the follower of Christ. Three years ago today... Three years ago on Mother's Day, I, I sat holding my father's hand as he closed his eyes in this world and opened his eyes before Jesus. 
And for him, that was the moment he was finally saved. He was glorified. He, he saw Jesus face to face. That's the journey of the Christ life. We're justified. We're being sanctified. One day we'll be glorified. So Paul has spent 11 chapters in this amazing book just explaining that, the doctrines of our faith. The last five chapters of the book deal with the duties of our faith. He talked about the beliefs that we have. And then he's talked about the behaviors that we follow. He, he talked about the convictions that we stand on. And then he talks about the conduct that come as a result of those convictions. So these last few chapters, beginning in chapter 12, describe what it looks like to practice the Christian faith. Chapter 15, Paul concluded with a powerful and personal word. In fact, if I could sum it up, it would be with this phrase, our ambitions should match his agenda. We don't live our life just to fulfill our bucket list. It is not supposed to be just about what we want to do. Our ambitions should be driven by that which God has planned for us, his mission for our life. So I challenged you last week as we finished in chapter 15 saying, don't waste your life. And then we come to the final chapter in this amazing book in the Bible. And if you just read through it, it's kind of anticlimactic. Because it, it seems like just a list of names. It's like Paul just gets his friends listed in the Bible. I mean, if it were today, maybe this is his Twitter followers or his Facebook friends or the, the people he's connected to on Instagram. But then you take a deep breath and you remember, wait a second, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's what we believe. It's what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when we open God's Word and we think, what is, what is this supposed to do for me? If you're a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, so you should... You should pray and, and say, God, what is it you want me to get out of this? So what's the purpose of, of this list of names we're about to read? I think Paul was saying, if you believe Romans 1 through 15, then you're going to look like Romans 16. In other words, this is what the church looks like. You, you've heard all of this in theory, but this is who we are. This is what it's supposed to be. This is how you do it. And this is important because this is where we have a disconnect in our society. We're good at this moment. We're pretty good at it. We come together. We sing our songs. We open the Bible. We listen. Some of us even take notes. But then we go out into the world and we don't always look like what we say we believe. And so Paul is, is going to give us Full color commentary. But I want you to do me a favor. You got to give me some grace because this is a lot of names and, and a lot of them are not names that we use. So let's just dive into this and, and see what God is going to say beginning in verse 1 of Romans 16. Here we go. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet 
Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but for all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their, their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who you worked very hard, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia and my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Now, we're not going to talk about all of these names, and we're not going to come back any deeper to Stachus, but I just need you to know that that name means ear of corn. So I'm still praying to the Holy Spirit about what he wants me to get out of that, but... Uh, Greet Apelles, whose fidelity in Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. Now, if you're familiar with the English language, that sounds familiar. And guess what? That meant then the same thing Narcissus means now. I mean, what was that parent thinking? We're going to name you a name that just means you're going to think it's all about you. Wow, we're not going to talk about narcissists anymore. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, they may have been twins, whose women are worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. You heard it. Say Rufus. <laughs> Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. We are going to talk about him. And the mother who's been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Favorite verse in the Bible of all college guys. And all the church of Christ send greetings. And now I want you to skip down to verse 21 where he has another short list. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as does Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my fellow Jews. And then I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public's work, and our brother Quartus sends you their greetings. Wow. I kind of thought you would um, just give me a round of applause for completing that list. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you're not careful, this just sounds like the credits at the end of a movie, right? And used to be at the end of a long movie, we would all get up and leave during the credits. But now, I just went to Guardians of the Galaxy this week. And, and so what you know is... There's more coming. They've tricked us. You've got to sit through the credits and see what's coming. But, but this kind of feels like the credits, like this is just all the people. We just need to get to the end. But there's so much more we can learn. For one thing, we see that the Apostle Paul had friends. You know what that tells me? The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation, we're not to do this on our own. That's why I believe in our nation in general, there's been so much depression and emotional illness that has come out of this season of COVID where people were isolated. 
we're not meant to be isolated. In fact, I would say to you, the Christian life was not intended to be experienced solely in rows. We gather on days like today in rows, and that's okay. It, it gives some order, allows us to fit people in here. But the Christian life is not meant to be experienced solely in rows. We were made for relationship. We're supposed to be connecting with other people. Paul didn't live an isolated life. He understood that we're better together. But there's more to this. Last week at the end of the message, I said, the only way you really know if the gospel has penetrated your heart is when you see if it's penetrated all of the important areas of your life. In other words, what I'm saying is, you know, you can come to me and say, I'm a Christian or I follow Jesus or I've been saved. I have to take your word at it. The only way we really know that about another person is when you look at their life and say, has it impacted everything? And I think the Apostle Paul is giving us a list and he's saying, these are people that were changed by the gospel. In other words, this is how you do it. One day, we're all going to get to the end of our lives. And probably, most of the time, it's been my experience, a, a big or small crowd will gather and somebody will say nice things about us. Hopefully, at least our family. I mean, I, I hope my children and, and my precious bride, I hope they have nice things to say. I look forward to seeing Jesus face to face, and certainly I, I want to hear what is described in Scripture that, all right, well done, my good and faithful servant. But man, as my life is remembered, I, I would want people to look at my representation of living for Christ and say, now, this is how you do it. This is a life that was changed by the gospel, far from perfect, but man, this is how you do it. And so this is a list that that is set up. So let's just go through the list. The first thing I want you to see, when the gospel changes you, you have an attitude of service. When the gospel changes you, you have an attitude of service. So look at the very first person mentioned. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. Phoebe, and you just thought that was a character in Friends. No, this is an important person in the Bible. And God's word says that she was a deacon. Now, we don't really know exactly what that means, that could have been the office of deacon in a local church. There is an office of deacon. We have deacons who serve in this church. Our, our church commends them to you. They specifically serve the widows of our church. She could have been in that office, or it could have just been that word, which means to serve. But here's what we know. The Apostle Paul considered her a patron or a benefactor of a lot of people. In other words, her life impacted a lot of other people. It was a life that he says was worthy, a life that helped others. And then he says, including me. She has the heart of a servant. That name, Phoebe, it, it literally means bright and radiant. Don't you want to be known that way when you walk into a room? I mean, the kind of person that comes into the room and they just cheer it up. They make you smile. I mean, I've met some people that I think their name means dull and grumpy. 
I don't want to be that person. I want to be bright and, and radiant. You know, one of the most important things we learn, one of the most important things we learn is that Phoebe apparently was the mail carrier. She was the person who, who brought this letter to the church at Rome. And that may be the most important package ever delivered. Because now for 2,000 years, the church looks to this letter to help us understand what it means to know Christ and to experience salvation. But she's remembered as a servant. And some of you will be remembered that way. Not with your names on a big screen, but as a servant. When I think of servants, I think of people like some of you I'm looking out at. I think of people like Mr. Ralph and Miss Pat D'Elia, who recently shared, you know, they'd gotten away from church, but 9-11 happened, and like a lot of people in the world, it, it shook their world, and, and they came back to church and asked for prayer, and they were in a class in this church, and this class prayed for them, and next thing you know, they were back plugged into church, they got to serving the Lord, and now for about 20 years, he's taught one of the oldest classes in our church, and he's just investing and serving in the life of people, he and Miss Pat, behind the scenes on a regular basis. Now, I think of people, amen, I think of people like Charlie and Kim Fultz, who just over a year ago came into our church, but they came in the front door saying, what can we do? And man, they just plugged in. So most Sundays you'll find them uh, standing behind a camera or you might find them at the front door of the church just welcoming people in, just making a difference right where they are. Now, I think of people like Phil and Nancy Hernandez, who, who used to serve in, in another food ministry in our community. But when we took on our ministry center that's now our six-mile campus, they said, we can do this here. And they began to regularly give back into that community. And most Friday nights, you'll find one or both of them there just serving, recognizing nobody may know they're there but they're making a difference. I think of people like Mel and Connie Cooper who help prepare and, and make sure our, our guest impressions is, is ready to go. I, I think of people like Michael and Sharon Renner who have served our church in so many different capacities through children and students and on our safety team in other ways. I think of Del McKelvey who right now is at our Six Mile campus and on Friday nights and Sunday mornings, again, is just in the background. He's going out on the street serving homeless and on Sunday mornings he's just making sure everything is taken care of. I think of Camille Alderman who worships and loves Jesus here in this service every week, but the first hour she's over in our preschool wel welcoming in young families with a smile. I think of May Sharon. May serves in a lot of different areas in our church too, but you can see her service because she carries around a tow truck with her. She pulls her little buggy around all the time with the goodies of things that, that she's doing, the difference she's making. I think of Wes Burnham on our, on our Lake Carroll campus who's, who's been doing the sound there since Moses was a baby in a basket. I think of Susan Baisley or, or people like Greg Watson who's new and yet involved working so hard in the ministry of our church and I could go on and on and on. But why do these people serve? And why did Phoebe serve? It's simple. They're following the one who served us, the suffering servant. You see, that's at the heart of who Jesus was, who Jesus is. It's at the heart of the gospel. 
Remember, we're talking about people who have been changed by the gospel. And when you're changed by the gospel, you have an attitude of a servant. That's the attitude that the Bible says we should have, according to Philippians chapter 2. Remember that passage? I've, I've quoted it for the last several weeks. It says, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, took on the form of a servant, and he humbled himself, even to the point of obedience on the cross, he died so that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus the Christ is Lord. See, when you have been changed by the truth of that gospel, that God loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us in our sin but he allowed his son Jesus to die on a cross for our punishment. And that Jesus loves us so much that he not only died, but he rose from the grave to offer us life. When you look to Jesus and you encounter the truth of the gospel, it changes you. So I would just challenge you today with this question. Have you ever truly trusted Jesus? And not to throw you off, but this isn't the end of the message. This is just gospel truth. You don't need a, a pastor or a priest or a church service to trust Jesus. You just need to understand your condition and, and you need to understand what he's done for you. And, and then you just need to say, Lord, I, I'm calling unto you as my Savior. That's what the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you too can begin that journey of justification, sanctification, and glorification. I pray that if you've never trusted Jesus, you do so today because that's what the gospel does. It penetrates us. It changes us at the core. And you develop an attitude of service. But there's another thing in this passage. When the gospel changes you, you have a willingness to sacrifice. These next two we've heard of before, Greek Priscilla and Aquila. We first meet them in the book of Acts. Notice what it says about them here. They risked their lives for me. The Bible tells us that they're tent makers. You know what that means? It means what it says. They make tents. They worked at REI or Bass Pro Shop or something like that. Hey, do me a quick favor. If you're in the room and you are not a vocational pastor or missionary, would you just raise your hand real quickly? That's not what you do for a living? All right. Most of you should be raising your hands, I think. Some of you, I declare before God, if Jesus himself said, everybody raise your hand, you would just sit there like this. Okay. If you raised your hand or if you didn't raise your hand but you should have raised your hand, here's what I'd say to you. This is your people, right? They're just business people. They had a job. And yet the Apostle Paul says, they risked their lives for me. Their story is this. They started in uh, Asia and then they went to Rome, and they planted a church in Rome until Claudius, one of the evil emperors, kind of ran them out of the city. And then they went to the city of Ephesus. And in Ephesus, they were a part of another church. You know who their pastor was? A guy named Timothy. They were under Timothy as a pastor in, in Ephesus. And then, you know who was in the church? A guy by the name of John, John the Beloved. I mean, he was in their church. That was the kind of people they were influences. And you know who else was there? A guy named Apollos. And the Bible says that Apollos may have been a better preacher 
than the Apostle Paul. And yet, the Bible also says that Priscilla and Aquila, they were like mentors to Apollos. I mean, these were people who leveraged all that they had for God. After they left Ephesus, when Claudius died, they moved back to Rome and they started a church there. So Paul in this passage says, and by the way, the church that meets in their house, hello. Why would they do this? Because the gospel had penetrated their life. This is what the gospel does. This is how it looks. This is why we say don't waste your life. This is where you find security. Some of you, have you've, you've gotten it backwards. You're, you're trying to gain all the income you can, and you're building the houses you want, and driving the cars you want, and wearing the clothes you want, and you're finding your security in stuff, or maybe not that, but you think your security is in your family, and the gospel teaches us that the only thing that we can truly have security in in this life is through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you grasp that, it changes everything. This week, I was reading through Numbers, and in the Bible, sometimes you, you find phrases that are just, they're, they're kind of funny. And this was from Numbers chapter 11, and Moses is arguing with God, and, and it's finally like, God has it, and, and he says, Moses, don't you understand it was me who parted the Red Sea? It, it's me who's been feeding you day and night. It's me who gives you water. It, it's me who's making sure you know where to go. And, and, and so it says in, in Numbers 11, the Lord answers Moses and said, is the Lord's arm too short for you? I mean, do you think I can't handle whatever you're facing Maybe the Lord would say that to you today. Have you trusted in the Lord as your security in such a way that you're willing to sacrifice it all for him? I think of people that live this way. I think of my friend Ray Shove. Ray and Brownie both, they serve the Lord so much. You may not see them a lot on this campus because they're at one of our other campuses. But man, Ray will come. He's like Batman. He has a bat signal. I mean, he shows up wherever you need him with whatever you need. He's always there on Friday nights. You might find him out on the streets in Tampa because his heart is serving the homeless. And I was over there a couple of weeks ago and he, he came in after having served the, the homeless. I said, how many did you see tonight? He said, we fed 160. I said, man, how was it? He said, I had the privilege to lead one of them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it's about. Giving up a Friday night to do something that lasts for eternity. Think of my friends Charles and Mary Shellnut. Mary was on the search committee that called me 12 years ago, but her and Charles serve in this way and, and so and in our church in so many different ways. But here's the reality. I'm a sinner and I'm in the flesh. And bottom line before Jesus, I don't think I'd be pastor of this church today if it weren't for Charles and Mary and others like them. I feel like giving up every Monday. I feel like quitting and walking away. And yet I see people who are leveraging their lives for the gospel. I think of Derek and Cindy Shaver who came to our church while she was a medical student and they felt called of the Lord to go overseas and, and they continued finishing her education and then they went into the Middle East as, as missionaries. He's a professional and, and, and she's a medical doctor and now they're back in our area and back in our church because God's expanding their family. But they're laying their life on the line rather than staying here and earning all the wealth and doing everything they could that would be for their glory. They're leveraging their life for Jesus Christ. When the gospel changes you, that's what it does. That's how it looks. When the gospel changes you, you also share your faith with others. I love this next one. 
Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Now listen carefully, because this is a cool moment. Is there anybody in the room that's a Christ follower with Asian descent? Raise your hand. Look around in every section. This is your forefather in the faith. The first convert in Asia. Isn't that amazing? He was the, literally the first fruit is what it says. But some of you are like that in your little corner of the world. You're like that in your family. Let me see your hand if you're the first convert to Jesus Christ in your family. Would you raise your hand? That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's incredible. Last service, Mel Cooper sat right back here, and he raised his hand. And man, I about lost it because Mel came to Christ after his wife Connie has been praying for him for years. And as a result, his children have come to Christ. His grandchildren are now serving the Lord in ministry. It's a generational change all because of of the first fruits. You may not be the first in your family, but you may be the first in your office, or you may be the first in your class. How did it happen? It happened because somebody shared Jesus with you. Somebody cared enough to share their faith. Remember when the gospel came to you, it was on the way to someone else. It wasn't intended to stop with you. Don't let it stop with you. Who's your one? Who's that one person that you're praying for, that you're going to the Lord for, that you're, you're crying out to the heavens that, that they would know him? I think of that. I think of Vic, Victor and Jenny. They usually sit right down here. Victor and Jenny came to Christ, and as they began to be on fire for Jesus, Victor began to be burdened about his family. And if you were here on Easter weekend, Victor stood right over there behind that baptistry while we baptized his brother who came to Christ. Lives changed because he shared his faith. I think of Jonathan Herman. He usually sits right over here. Jonathan, man, he was lost. He was involved in drugs and alcohol, and his life was being ruined. And he said yes to Jesus. He began to get help for these other areas of his life as he began to follow Christ. Now on Friday nights, he's meeting next door and leads our Celebrate Recovery ministry and inspires others with this same hope that God's given to him. You see, when the gospel changes you, you share your faith. But there's more. When the gospel changes you, you strive to do your best. <laughs> Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. That literally says... If you look at it in, in the language it was written, it, it literally says it worked till they were weary to the point of exhaustion. I, I want you to understand something. I really believe that according to Scripture, receiving your faith in Jesus Christ is easy. It's simple. That's what the Bible says. You call on the name of the Lord and you're saved. But living the Christian life, man, that can be hard. Being the church... Out in the world, that can be difficult. Just hanging out with church people, that can be hard. I, I think about that children's book, Chronicles of Narnia. The, the children see Aslan for the first time, and, and they turn and they ask, is he, is he safe? You know the answer? Heavens no, but he's good. 
Is church life, is the Christian life easy? No. But is it good? Oh, you better believe it. I said a moment ago, almost every Monday, I want to resign. I want to quit. There are things that make me want to just throw in the towel. But then I look out and I see lives changed. I see people who are making a difference and others who are being made a difference. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for letting me be a part of this hard work. When I think of hard workers, I think of people like a young man I watched grow up, at least part of his life, old Derek Botts. He's a, a young man in the business world now, but he, he serves you. He might have helped get you to your seat today in a church. I think of Deborah Lorenzo, young lady is on our staff, but way more than what she does as a part of our staff. She works hard for this church family, making a difference. I think of people like Roy and Glenna Ross, who've been in this church a long time, but they serve as one of our fastest growing community group leaders. And as people come into this church, they just want to be a part of this group because of people like them. I, I think of Cindy Varney and Sean McDaniel and Tammy Morrison and John and Maya Schaefer. I think of Greg Watson and I, I think of Bobby Falcone and Matt Olson uh, who, who make sure you, to the best of their ability that, that you can see and hear every week. And they do this free of charge. They do this out of the service of their heart. They do this as volunteers. And, and Bobby, Bobby's been doing this about 142 years. I mean, they love Jesus. Here's what I'm asking. Don't ask God to make it easier. Don't ask him to lighten your load. Ask him to broaden your shoulders. Ask him to be able to help you do that which he's called you to do. Oh, I've got to keep going. When the gospel changes you, you recognize you stand on the shoulders of other people. Greet Andronicus and Junia. Now, this is interesting because we really don't know if these names are men or, or women. It's interesting. They may be women, and a lot of the names in this early church list are women. And I have to tell you, not a lot's changed today. Where would the church be without faithful women? But notice what it says. They were in prison with me, and they are outstanding among the apostles. They were in Christ before I was. Quick pop quiz. Who's telling us this story? Who's the author of Romans? Paul, right. Wouldn't it have been easy for the apostle to make it all about himself? To just be focused on him? And yet here, not only has he given us these lists, he says, and, and these two, they knew Christ before me. I'm standing on their shoulders. And I would just remind you today, regardless of the age or the stage of your life, we're all standing on somebody's shoulders. There's somebody that's gone before you. Man, as I'm here today, I am so grateful. There's nothing I did to earn or deserve this, but I grew up in a godly home. My mom and dad, man, they raised me to the best of their ability and taught me the things of God. I'm standing on their shoulders today. But not just them. They did what Andrew and Mary said they're going to do with their children. They had me in the church. And so there were people in the church, like some of the names I've listed here, in my life. There were people like Doug and Becky Winters. There were people like Jane 
Putnam and, and, and her husband, Forrest. There are people like my Aunt Barbara, who wasn't really an aunt, but everybody called Aunt Barbara, Barbara. And, and they helped raise me. I'm, I'm standing on their shoulders. And, and then God called me off to ministry. And, and, and somebody told me, hey, at this church over here, there's a guy that was the athletic director at the college you went to. to use. So y'all have something in common. Go meet him. And his name was John West. And he was associate pastor at a church there. And he befriended me and began to mentor me and invest on my life. And I'm standing on his shoulders. And and then I began to go to other churches. I remember when I went to First Baptist Conyers and the realtor there was a, a guy named Jerry Kirkpatrick. Jerry's the age of my parents, but I got to know Jerry and he loved me. He was showing me houses there when we moved to Conyers and we went up in one house and up in that house he said, you want to look in the attic? And I was just a young man. I didn't know why you need to look in the attic. But I said, sure. So I climbed up those stairs and looked in the attic and next thing I knew, my foot was dangling through the ceiling. And so I came back down out of that attic and I said, Jerry, I don't think I want to buy this house. It's got a hole in the attic. And that was funny. You're just not staying with me. But, but Jerry's been with me all my life. I, I'm, I'm standing on his shoulders. I, I think about when God then called us down to Northport, Florida, and I met a man who's as servant-hearted as I've ever seen. His name's Dan Botts, and he happens to be the dad of, of DJ and Derek. And man, I just watched his servant's heart, and I'm standing on his shoulders. And then we went to Missouri, and, and I, I met a guy named Jerry DeGraffenry, and I'm standing on his shoulders. And then I came here, and, and we're standing on shoulders, like, the, like that of Mr. Pressure, who was one of the founding members of this church and thought that this area of Tampa needed a church. and We're standing on his shoulders. Or, or people like his daughter, Carol Grable, who's even got a birthday today. Happy birthday, Carol. We're standing on her shoulders. Or, or people like Bill and Alice Buckley, who have been here a long time, or, or, or people that have really served in this church. We're standing on their shoulders. It made a difference. I'd remind you, church is not simply an event to attend. It's a family to belong to. And until you understand that, you won't make the most of what church is meant to be. We're winding this down. The next thing is when the, church, when the gospel changes you, you are set apart. You're set apart. This is when we get to Rufus. <laughs> I'm not going to say much, but I just we got to hang out with Rufus. Say his name again. I'm not going to ask if anybody here is named Rufus, but that's kind of an interesting name. He says this about Rufus. He was chosen in the Lord. Now just think about what it means to be chosen. That is one of the best descriptors of our faith. You and I, we were dead in sin. We were helpless. We were hopeless. There was no way out. And yet God, based on nothing we have done, chose us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're chosen. And then when the gospel changes you, it, it changes your sensitivities. I love how God works. We've been in Romans for a year. And yet on Mother's Day, we land on the one verse that says, not only Rufus, but also his mother, who is like a mother to me. I don't know about you, but we've, we've never been around our parents in close proximity until these last couple years. So I've always needed people to help Mama me, like Mama Susan sitting right here. Like my assistant, I call her Mama Donna all the time. Or Mama Shirley, I see you way out there. I went to visit Natalie in the hospital this week, and Miss Natalie's loved on our family. She's been so good. We miss her 
active praise and worship. She would be sitting right over here. And as I left her hospital room, I kissed her on the forehead and said, I love you, Mama Natalie. You see, when, when you've been impacted by the gospel, you see other people differently. It changes your sensitivities. But when the gospel changes you, ultimately you just choose to live sent. One of the first messages I've ever preached, I preach from this next verse, verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, you're not getting anything from that message because I don't think there was anything in there worth giving you. <laughs> but I always like that verse for a couple reasons. Old Tertius, that's just a good name. I bet his last name was Purvis because that kind of has a twang to it. Tertius Purvis. But we find out something interesting. For whatever reason, whether it's because he had arthritis or he had bad eyes, Paul wasn't even the one who wrote down his letter. This other guy did. Lived life in the background, in obscurity, until this moment. And most of you have still never heard of him, even though his name's in the Bible. And that just tells me that God's got something for all of us to do. If you're a follower of Christ, you just got to find what it is he wants you to do. And maybe nobody will know about it. Maybe it's in obscurity. But your obscurity may be God's opportunity for greater glory. It may be an opportunity for God to work in your life as one of his saints. Because that's the bottom line, church. When the gospel changes you, you are a saint. You're a saint. That's how this ends in verse 15. All the Lord's people, or some of your translations say, all the saints. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. So I could have gone on and on and on throughout our church. I could have given you more names like Greg and Barbara, or our translators, Dr. Sun and Dr. Lee and Roger and Veronica and Johanna and Edwin Clark and his wife Maria and Albert and Lily, who regularly make sure this service is in French and in Spanish and in Chinese. Or I could have given you Vinay, who's one of the strongest prayer warriors I know. Or I could have talked about Joe Labar, who serves behind the scenes in all kinds of ways. Or Amico, or, or Jim and Dee, or Franz, or Tiffany, or Barbara or Sandy or Tammy or Russell or Jane or Ryan or Donna and Emily and I could go on and on and on just saints who may never have a stained glass window or have their names called but who are serving the Lord by the way I imagine some of the church in Rome were thinking they didn't mention me <laughs> so if you're thinking that at the church of Tampa, let me just say, sorry. But he kind of did, because he said to all the saints, and I say that to you. All different. These were Jews and Greeks and men and women and rich and poor. And in our church, we have 67 nations, men and women, all ages. But they had one thing in common. Did you catch what it was? They're the church of Christ. They were bound together by what they had in common. They, they had in common that they were in Christ. Not that they all like the same music or they all look the same or enjoy the same cultural things. 
but because they were in Christ. And that's why we have to recognize one another and we have to learn from one another. It's good to mention names occasionally like we've done today, but we never put our focus on people, whether that's people in the seats or the person on the stage. Why? Because you hang around me long enough, I'll always let you down. People always do. That's why it says in Hebrews 13, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome, their way of life. Imitate their faith, yes, but it's Jesus Christ who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one that connects us. You see, with all these wonderful men and women, these good friends, they served a part, but they don't meet our need. Because your biggest need is not a friend. Your biggest need is not a buddy or a mentor or a life coach. Your biggest need is a savior. Yes, we look to them, we learn from them, but our faith is in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. His name is above every name. It's Jesus who brings us together. It's Jesus who keeps together. He is the name above every name. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the everlasting Father. Do you hear that, church? He's the promise keeper. He's the way maker. He's the light in the darkness. That is who He is. Would you stand together, church? He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the light of the world, the way, the door, the living hope. We gather, we worship, we sing, we speak the name of Jesus. Let's worship together.